when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From 104.7 WHUPLP Hillsboro, this is She and Her. I'm Anita Rao. And I'm Sandra Davidson. Welcome back to the show. We are almost done with this season of the podcast, and one of our most popular episodes thus far has been the conversation we had with Anita's dad, Dr. Satish Rao, who specializes in gut health. Tonight, we bring on another medical expert, Dr. Dahlia Brahmi, who is a reproductive health specialist. Dr. Brahmi is a physician uh, based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. She does research and clinical work that has informed the CDC's medical eligibility criteria for contraceptive use and the World Health Organization's safe abortion guidance. She's trained clinicians all around the world on strategies for comprehensive reproductive health services. She currently trains medical students at the local Planned Parenthood. Dr. Brahmi, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So we have so many questions from our listeners about all things sexual and reproductive health, but we want to start by getting to know you a little bit more and getting to know kind of the bread and butter of your day-to-day work. But first, I guess we'd love to hear about what got you interested in the field of sexual and reproductive health. Sure. So I was someone who was a um, civic education teacher before I went to medical school and have always been interested in human rights and the right to health came out of an interest in the right for everybody to live their full lives. After studying at university, I was um, teaching in Washington, D.C. and volunteered at the Whitman Walker Clinic, which is an HIV clinic in D.C., and realized that actually I did want to go to medical school um, and went back and studied medicine. But the part of that drew me to medicine was people's lives and hearing people's stories and thinking about how I could help people in very practical ways, but also in ways that were beyond um, just writing someone a prescription 
and so was drawn to family and community medicine, which addresses what's called the social determinants of health or, you know, the realities of people's lives, how I like to think about it. So out of that, during that training, one of the things that was the most interesting to me was learning about abortion training. This was training I got in California. Um, I had gone to medical school in Indiana, and it was quite quite limited in terms of what I learned about sexual and reproductive health. And that was specifically, we were not allowed to learn anything about abortion care. And when I did my residency training, which is three years of specialty training in family medicine, one of the things we did in addition to pediatric training or um, inpatient hospital medicine was a rotation through Planned Parenthood. And it was at that time that I had never been introduced to abortion care and post-abortion contraception and really found it rewarding to have the privilege of taking care of people who were at um, experiencing sometimes a crisis event, sometimes just a difficult time in their lives. And it felt like it combined both the things I was interested in in terms of medicine and but also supporting people and having a really concrete impact on their lives and their ability to live their lives. And so now you do that work in the South. Yes. So I've lived in North Carolina for eight years, and I moved here from, um, I had worked in, uh, at the World Health Organization doing research on contraception and safe abortion guidelines, sort of studying the scientific literature about the safety and efficacy of different contraceptive methods with different medical conditions, as well as the safety of abortion. And after doing that work, came to North Carolina because a uh, international nonprofit is based here that does work around sexual and reproductive rights and health um, called IPASS and is based in Chapel Hill, and I worked for them for several years doing um, reproductive health training, safe abortion training internationally in areas where women routinely die from unsafe abortions and entire hospital wings are, are full of, of women um, dying of complications, preventable complications of unsafe abortion. So that's what brought me to North Carolina, but at the same time I, I started doing um, local work, um, both in the family medicine community with rural health providers, as well as locally in Planned Parenthood and other reproductive health clinics. So have seen different aspects of reproductive health. So you shared with us a really interesting uh, New York Times piece written from the perspective of someone who provides abortions uh, about kind of the things that they have gone through intellectually as they make sense of their work and a sense of the day-to-day experience of a provider. So maybe you could paint us a picture of um, your day-to-day experience as a provider. Who are the kinds of people that you see? Who are the kinds of people that are getting uh, abortions in our community? Yeah. So in North Carolina, we see people from Eastern Tennessee, from South Carolina, from Virginia, who come come to seek abortion care here for various reasons. We, of course, see people, many, many people from North Carolina, 
Um, and the only thing that they have in common is that they are pregnant and for whatever reason do not want to be or cannot be pregnant. But both in terms of demographics, in terms of age, everyone knows somebody who has had an abortion. And statistically, you know, one in four, up to one in three women of reproductive age has had an abortion. And so it's extremely common. It's just not something that is often talked about. You know, some of the people who just come to mind right now are a 14-year-old who I saw with her mother who was raped at school, Mm. an extreme case like that, to someone who's in nursing school and just trying to make things work, going back to school after having little kids and is really excited to um, make her life better for herself and her family and finds out that she's pregnant. Um, a couple who had a really sick baby in the neonatal intensive care unit and their life is so chaotic that they were unexpectedly pregnant and are spending all their time and resources on caring for their really ill child and find themselves pregnant to, you know, how common sexual assault is that it's, I I talk about, um, I think about, you know, the level of trauma and sexual assault in the community in general, and that treating everyone as if they have been traumatized in some way is, is part of what in medicine we call universal precautions. In the same way that we wear gloves, we, we mm-hmm. assume that people have experienced trauma, whether that's um, sexual assault or, or harassment or if it's some other trauma. So, you know, I, I think about someone who came to us from South Carolina who had woken up at 4 a.m. that morning, driven from a beach town with her boyfriend, and she was exhausted when I finally saw her and very ill. She was pregnant, but with a severe abnormality in her pregnancy and had really been hoping that she would have a healthy baby. Her first baby died at 20. She had a preterm delivery, and the baby lived about 10 minutes, um, and she had an emergency that resulted in having to have an emergency C-section. And when she told me the story, she said it it was either me or the baby. And she luckily went on to have two healthy children, two boys, and found herself in a situation to where she was pregnant, a desired pregnancy, but the pregnancy was not developing normally, and she found out that there, the... um, what she hoped would be a healthy um, baby girl was not, um, didn't turn out that way. And so she was here traveling from South Carolina. Her OB specialist couldn't treat her, wouldn't, did, either didn't, couldn't treat her for abortion or wasn't able to, and so referred her to North Carolina. And when I saw her and just did her screening, found out that she was too ill to be seen in the clinic where I was working and then had to refer her on to a higher level facility. And I remember her saying, you know, thinking about what she had been to, driving from one state to the next, each time meeting a doctor she didn't know, didn't trust and have a relationship with. And her looking at me when I told her that we couldn't help her because of her severe medical condition, saying, you know, you doctors just don't get it. Like, The state of South Carolina is telling me I can't use my Medicaid to pay for my abortion, can't afford a hospital abortion, and what do you expect me to do? Have this baby that won't live. 
And I think about, so I think about these really real cases of people who are just trying to live their lives and either are faced with a really awful situation with a pregnancy they had hoped would result in a really happy thing to people who, for many different reasons, can't be pregnant right now and are not able to be parents or don't want to be parents or are deciding not to and are raising the children that they have. And so it cuts across, it's everybody. Mm -hmm. And it is definitely somebody you know. And to me, I have learned that it is so common and that the women I see think about it, that take it so seriously and um, are spending so much time reflecting upon making the decision that's best for them and their family that when I do eventually meet people, um, most of which we can help, it's, I think about it as what can I do to make the situation that that person is a bit better. To your point about the politics, and that was a great example of how salient the actual politics of abortion are in that clinic room with each patient. How frequently do you encounter that? How often do the, the, does the political climate and the political discourse and dialogue around abortion show up in your moments with your patients? I would say it's a daily occurrence. So I've practiced medicine in several states, and I would say that, you know, as I've gotten more and more experience, I have seen how the political climate and the context in which people live impacts their health much more than than anything that I as an individual do. So in North Carolina, for instance, we have many restrictions on health, specifically on abortion care, in that people can't use most insurances, many insurances, um, either that's Medicaid because of the Hyde Amendment that prohibits um, people with Medicaid and um, TRICARE, we're a state with a lot of military veterans as well as active duty military, cannot use TRICARE to access abortion care. And so having worked in Fayetteville near Fort Bragg, I would see a lot of people who you know, would need abortion care. And then these amazing individuals who the next week were going to be shipped out to Bagram Air Force Base. And to think that we as a society are not supporting them in the care that they need was really disheartening. But the economics of people's lives, people don't live in one issue lives, right? Who they are, whether that's their immigration status or their race or what economic opportunities they have, intersect with what I'm seeing them for that day, which is either for contraceptive care or abortion care or general I'm a family doctor, so general family medicine. And it's really hard in a state that one hasn't expanded Medicaid. So are the baseline health indicators, whether that's for prenatal care or for infant mortality, are not as high as they should be or could be if more people had access to health care. And so at baseline, people are not as healthy as they are in other states where I've worked. So what that does is it impacts 
where people are coming from, and it, it means that people often are delaying their care because they're both trying to get transportation and trying to get the funding for abortion care. Another restriction we have in North Carolina is that we, the state mandates a 72-hour delay or a waiting period between the time of consenting to a procedure and the time of the actual procedure or the abortion pill. And so that delays practically the procedure for people, practically delays their care, which has negative consequences both for their schedules as well as further being further along in their pregnancy. Um, we know that abortion is safer the earlier it's done. It's still very safe, but people who have decided that they want to or need to end a pregnancy want to be able to do that as soon as possible. What we have is a two-tiered system where people who have access to health insurance that does cover abortion or who are middle and upper middle class have the financial resources to get abortion care are then able to access it earlier. And so people who are in a lower economic situation are then, we're punishing them because they are poor. And so as a result, they're not getting abortion care and much other care in a timely way. And because we know that disproportionately impacts people of color, it's, it just is an exacerbation of a system that is already, that already has really stark inequities to, in healthcare as well as many other things. And so I see that all those forces interacting. And when somebody shows up, you know, as a healthcare provider and as a physician, you often feel helpless in what you can impact. And I know that, you know, in a moment when somebody needs a very concrete and specific thing, that they need to not be pregnant for whatever that reason is, that I really deeply trust that person has given that all the thought and that they know what's best for their life. And when I'm able to support that person and treat them with dignity and respect and try to dismantle some of the inherent shame around abortion, some of the, the, the messages in our society, that in addition to being a competent medical provider, it's being very clear to them that I trust them, that they are in control of their life. I'm someone who can support them in their decision, but they're the one who is leading their life in the best place to know where they want their life to go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. 
You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Well, we have a ton of questions from our listeners, so maybe we'll call on some of your expertise to get into those, some of which relate to abortion and and others that don't. Um, And we can go kind of rapid fire and then linger on ones that need more lingering. But I guess let's start with with, um, connected to abortion. Does having an abortion impact your childbearing possibilities later on? So that's a great question. So I often, so the short answer is no. So in countries where abortion is restricted and where there are many unsafe abortion practices, anywhere from drinking bleach to putting um, unclean, unsafe instruments inside your body and your uterus, that leads to severe health consequences and infertility. And pre-legal abortion in this country, many women used unsafe practices and were forced to um, do things to end their pregnancies that did lead to infertility. Luckily, the two major ways of abortion that exist today in the U.S., both the abortion pill or medication abortion and the abortion procedure, both those are extremely safe and are do not impact your future fertility at all. So don't impact, have negative, don't have negative consequences on your physical health. And that's something that's been very well studied and is pretty clear. The things that impact your fertility in terms of sexual and reproductive health are things like chlamydia and gonorrhea and having, it's, so it's really important in terms of prevention of sexually transmitted infections and condom use, those are the things that have a much bigger impact on your fertility because they can scar your tubes um, in terms of female infertility. Of course, infertility is not just the purview of women um, <laughs> or people with uteruses. It also, infertility is can be driven by men. But um, the good thing is that safe abortion, abortion done with what's routinely used now um, does not impact your future fertility, whether or not you've had children in the past. So it's something that I am often bringing up, especially with young patients who, young people who may have never been pregnant before and are worried, very worried that their abortion is going to impact their fertility. And so I I bring it up even if they don't ask. Mm. So I always say, you'll hear a lot out there about people trying to convince you not to have an abortion, and they'll say things that are meant to convince you not to, um, many of which are just lies and untruths that abortion causes breast cancer, abortion will lead to infertility, or will turn your hair green, or whatever it is, (laughs) and none of those things are true. So to your mentioning of STDs, one of our listeners asked, whether you have seen a uptick in the prevalence of STDs and if that is perhaps correlated with the growing popularity of the IUD. 
Great question. So the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, does a lot of work on all level, all STDs, and the prevalence is definitely going up. So um, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, those are really going up, and HIV, and it, it's important to, um, and that's multifactorial. So both from reduced condom use to um, maybe, you know, there's maybe dating apps and people using, mm. um, having different sexual partners and um, lower funding of departments of health, which did a lot of STD monitoring, as well as informing partners when they were positive. But um, so the IUD, so one, the IUD doesn't cause STD, so that's important to know. However, the IUD or the implant, these long-acting methods of contraceptions are very effective, but they don't prevent um, infection. So either not having sex, abstinence, or using barrier methods such as condoms are really the only way to prevent sexually transmitted diseases. A friend of mine was like, you know, no one's using condoms anymore, right? That's what, and, right. And right. I said, no, I didn't know that. And that's really disturbing. <laughs> You're like, but, I hate to hear that. Right. I hate to hear that. Uh, PSA, please use condoms if you don't want to get chlamydia. <laughs> But Which I don't think anyone does. No one, no that. one yeah. does, <laughs> and it's it it really does have, you know, can have long term consequences on your health. So I don't know if there's any correlation between increasing sure. IUD use and the increasing rate of STDs, except that I know that there are more and more STDs, and people ideally should be using condoms, um, especially if they're having more than one partner. You know, I, I was just reading a book called uh, aptly called The Vagina Bible, which is <laughs> written by my favorite OBGYN or one of them, um, Dr. Jen Gunter, who's a Canadian OBGYN who does it just has a lot of funny articles and is a very smart person who has written about the vagina and the vulva and, and reproductive anatomy and things like um, sexually transmitted infections, and I think there's a lot of missed information, mi both inaccurate information because we don't, as a set of society, and here I know in North Carolina, do a great job about comprehensive sexual education. So people That's the don't, truth. so people <laughs> don't know, you know, basic things about their bodies, but people also don't have information or know where to get accurate information. The the internet is full of a lot of information, but you don't know what's a fake news, credible or not. service, <laughs> you know, credible information yeah, yeah, or yeah. not. There's a lot of, I think, beliefs that are are har harmful about, you know, self care or what you should be doing to, you know, steaming your vagina oh, and putting, a, you know, crystals in your vagina. Like, <laughs> don't you, do Glenn. either of those things, um, and. <laughs> You know, find a condom that works for you. Um. Well, speaking of uh, <laughs> crystals, no, not really. Speaking of the pill, so I feel like our, Sandra and I are both 30, turning 31, um, and I feel like most of my peers like have been on birth control or hormonal pill for a decade, more than a decade at this point. And I feel like in the past couple of years, there's been a big um anti-pill kind of movement and people talking a lot about the impact that taking hormones for so long can have 
on your overall health. So I'm curious about kind of the the science behind that and this anti-pill movement. Right. So the great thing, tell all your friends who've been on the pill forever since they were 16 <laughs> that they are doing a great job of preventing colon cancer, okay. uterine cancer, and ovarian cancer. Oh. So they should be very happy that their time right. on the pill. <laughs> so I think it's even 10 years or longer. Um, ask your dad about the colon cancer <laughs> one. Um is that it really reduces the rate of both of those things. The other great piece of news, it, is, it has zero impact on your future fertility. Mm. So you don't need to take a break from the pill. You don't need to stop the pill if you've been using it just to check to see if you're fertile. Um, I've had many people show up pregnant because they, quote, check to see if they were fertile, <laughs> both after an abortion Uh-oh. and after yeah, taking the pill. Yeah. So... People are much more fertile than they think they are. That's one thing I will say. (laughs) And you never know. So, you know, a lot of people in their late 40s are showing up pregnant because they think they're no longer able to get pregnant. And then a lot of young people are also pregnant. Like you can, you know, for friends who friends and patients who've struggled with infertility, they think, how is it that all these other people are getting pregnant when I can't get pregnant? And yet. Some people can get pregnant really easily. And it, um, so I really want to reassure people that one, the pill is good for your health in many ways and that it prevents cancer. It um, does not lead to infertility. It's not going to mess up your body. You don't need to have a quote unquote normal period um, or take a pause from the pill. Um, there are decades of pill users who go on to have many. Many children. Okay. Um, So a couple of other contraceptive-related questions, maybe more than a couple. One is just very technical, and it is about the pill. So when you are on that final row of the pill and you have a period— like, are you is that are you actually having a period because of hormonal withdrawal because you're taking those sugar pills or whatever they are? What's what's going on there? <laughs> so the the so there are different ways of taking the pill. So you can do continuous, meaning where you don't have those quote sugar pills, and those those um, the traditional pills where you take, you know, three weeks of of pills, a combination of estrogen and progesterone. And then one week of the, quote, sugar pill, that was designed initially early on by the makers of the pill because they wanted to mimic a normal cycle because they wanted, they thought or they thought that women would think that you needed to have a, uh, to mimic a menstrual cycle. But we know now that you don't need to have that and people can use continuous pills and not use those sugar pills. So if, if... for whatever reason, they they want to they don't want to have the withdrawal bleeding, and that withdrawal bleeding comes from um, a lack of hormones. So those okay. pills really are kind of inactive pills. So your body it's not tricking your body into being pregnant. It's not that's that's something that's often believed. Um, there's no. Um, the the hormones in the pill, both the estrogen and the progesterone, it it changes it it redu- it blocks ovulation, so the egg can't be released, so it's not fertilized. And then the other, the progestin in contraception, whether that's um, in a pill or in like the progestin only IUD, 
the way that those work is by thickening your cervical mucus. And so sperm just physically can't get into your cervix. Um, and so that people with a uterus can't get pregnant. So it's um, the pills work in mysterious ways. And <laughs> then the hormones, you know, the, 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 your brain and the parts of your brain that are responsible for your endocrine and your hormone system have these very um, elaborate feedback mechanisms where, um, and the pills and different hormonal contraception is block certain parts of that. Got it. Yes. Okay. So takes a lot of diagrams. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember most recently when I was at my gynecologist, she had a wall of, of a diagram on her wall of all the different types of contraception, and it was huge. And yes, there were, and there's a lot yes. of options. I always tell people vasectomy is a great option. <laughs> for I know someone who thinks that as well. Yes, <laughs> she's <laughs> probably listening. <laughs> um, can you have sex? Okay, wait. The, not it's not a have sex question. This is a can you use the diva cup with an IUD? So I was just I was just talking to a friend who's a midwife about that. And there so the thing with the so an IUD is placed inside your uterus and the strings of your IUD um, come out of your cervix into your vagina. Generally after having the IUD in place, the the strings of the IUD get softened by your cervical mucus and kind of wrap around your cervix. So they're not um, sticking out. Um, it's not like a tampon is what right. I'm saying. It's not sticking out of your, your vagina. But the thing with the Diva Cups is that they, when they're placed, they can cause a suction. And so whether when you're trying to remove the, cu the cup, either from the finger or just the suction of the cup, could theoretically dislodge mm. the IUD. So that's sort of a precaution. Got is it. it a what we call a contraindication? I'm not sure. Um, but there is a theoretical risk of that. You know, I, I, there are a lot of things that come up or questions that people either don't want to ask me or that I have heard about the IUD. One is, will it poke my partner? If, you're, right. if your partner <laughs> yes. has a penis and you have a vagina, and so... <laughs> that can be, again, I don't know, depends on how long the strings are. So we always try to trim the strings very long because you can always cut them shorter, but it, I can't make them longer. <laughs> um, and generally the strings, if they are uncomfortable or if your partner feels them, you can get them um, trimmed or adjusted so you could go back and see your healthcare provider. Um, but the strings generally soften with the cervical mucus and so partners usually do not feel them. Um, you won't pull them out with a tampon. Um, you don't need to feel the string every month. If it makes you feel better to know that it's there, great. But that's not something that evidence says that you need to do. Hmm. Okay. Um, People with penises need some sort of they, they, A lot of education. This feels like a lot of work for women. Yes. Or people with uterus. This is... Yes, and there's so a lot to there's, there's a lot there's a lot to understand just about basic um, biology. I think there's a lot um, you know people who have vaginas don't understand their bodies, yeah. and there's a lot of again quote Jennifer Gunter Jen Gunter. You know, she says the vagina is a self cleaning oven. Like, do not need to douche. Don't need to put things in. There's a lot of misogyny around 
thinking that women are dirty, menstruation is dirty, there are a lot of cultural beliefs about this, and um, that hair is bad, that pubic hair is bad. And so it's hard to separate it. You know, I can't tell you how many people apologize to me about the way their pubic hair looks before putting in an IUD. Wow. And every time I just say, do not shave for your gynecologist, right? (laughs) Like, do not, if or if you feel um, somehow that you need to do something to your body or you don't feel comfortable in your healthcare provider, your family doctor's office, like, get a different healthcare provider. And my other thing is, Pelvic exams and speculum exams should not be painful. So if those are painful, think about a new provider. A new provider. Um, okay. Everyone deserves to have respectful, dignified care that does not shame you about your body, about what you're there for. If you don't feel comfortable talking to your healthcare provider, then you really need to get a different healthcare provider. Yes. Okay, let's talk about fertility. Um, one of the biggest themes of uh, <laughs> questions from our listeners. So we hear a lot about the number thirty-five, and that you know your fertility really declines after thirty-five. Talk about that number and the science of fertility and how much age matters. Age, unfortunately, really matters. Um, fertility does decline precipitously. Um, And, you know, starting in your early 30s, but it really, it's the most important factor in terms of future fertility. It's something that unfortunately cannot be um, changed, right? Because we have a finite amount of eggs. That being said, I have a great friend who had a child in her late 50s with wow. an egg do- with an egg donor, okay, okay. <laughs> right so so there are other ways to birth a baby without you know even if you don't have eggs of your own that being said that's very uncommon very expensive so it is a real concern for people who are wanting to plan for their fertility wanting to know what their options are I think it is important for people to know about that for for because you can't predict. There are some things that are modifiable, right, in terms of what I discussed before, in terms of STDs and exposure um, to to things that can lead to infertility. There's again, fertility does not just depend on one person here. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many male factors as well that, that can lead to infertility. But age is a big one. Um, and so I know from, for many friends who have struggled with infertility, it's something that they wish they had somebody had said to them early on. Like, oh, do you think about fertility preservation or people who, you know, have breast cancer and want to do fertility preservation before they are, um, before before treatment, or maybe they haven't found their partner, but they know they want to have children, and so can you do, um, you know, freeze eggs or create embryos? And it's a lot. It's very complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Fertility and reproduction, and it's I think for everybody, but for people who are trying to plan their life and their what they imagine their family to be and 
and having a lot of friends either in medicine or not in medicine where people are used to planning and having control over their lives. Yes. And this is an area where sometimes you don't have to control. And I think that can be scary for people, but that is unfortunately the reality. So it is, so yes, is the short answer. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately that age, um, age does matter. But that you can have, you know, healthy pregnancies also at different ages. Yeah. Um, It just, your risks of, your risks do go up as as, um, you age, both for genetic reasons and and otherwise. So we had a couple of questions that tie into this notion of uh, where people with uteruses are in their aging process as it relates to fertility, but also their contraceptive methods, and their sexual um, activities. So one would be, um, okay, so I'm experiencing perimenopausal symptoms. Should I take my AUD out? And I'll just fold in the perimenopausal questions Mm because we had a couple and we're running out of time. So I'm experiencing perimenopause with an IUD. Should I get it taken out? And do women tend to get more into sex before perimenopause, or is it just... The 40s, um, and WTF can I do to relieve perimenopausal <laughs> symptoms? Yes. So um, as somebody nearing that age group, <laughs> I'm very familiar with that. Um, but I think, so those are, there are a lot of things, right? So sexual health and libido and your desire changes throughout your life cycle and is multifactorial, right? If you don't like your partner um, or you are not feeling confident or safe in a relationship, then probably you're not going to um, have a very high sex drive. And and it's amazing how sometimes people don't put those things together. But the answer to the, you know, I'm perimenopausal. Should I take out my IUD? It depends. Do you want to get pregnant? Um, If you... You know, definitely do not want to get pregnant. If you're the reason why you have the IUD in is to prevent pregnancy, um, IUDs can also be used to, you know, to reduce symptoms if you're having too much bleeding and heavy periods. So it depends why you have the IUD. But generally, no, you can have that IUD in throughout menopause. Um, and the IUD should not, generally speaking, for most people, doesn't impact their. Um, sexual health. Now, can you be on contraception and have that impact your mood or um, your sex drive? Definitely. But whether that's related, sometimes the precipitating factors of why you decided to start a contraceptive method is often because maybe you're in a new relationship or your other circumstances have changed. So it's hard to tease out what is causation and what is association. Um, I think sexual health is really complicated in that it's it. there's a lot of um, societal expectations about it. Um, there's a lot of focus on um, everything from just focusing on orgasm to focusing on, like, we don't do a very good job in our society of talking about, when we talk about contraception and reproductive health, we're often talking about all the bad things can, that mm-hmm. can happen, right? 
unintended pregnancy or STDs or don't get pregnant or you're going to be infertile, we rarely are talking about sex in a positive way, like about pleasure, about, you know, just human contact. And I think depending on what you grew up with, what you learned about sex, what you think about your body, and there's so much around shame um, around sex as well as bodies in general, I think um, the mental, emotional part of sex really impacts the physical part. And so when I've talked to people about that and they've, you know, feel comfortable enough to open up about it, we're often talking about some physical things, some things around sexual health, but also their larger, about their their whole person and then about, of course, their relationship and then their family and how they grew up and how they think about sex. So it's it's multifactorial and it's multilayered and it's complicated. Well, maybe we can end with um, like your top three tips uh, for people with uteruses with relation to their sexual and reproductive health or, or things you'd really like people to know. Sure. Um, one is love your body. Don't apologize for it. Don't think it's dirty. Don't think it's bad. You know, really, my hope for people is that they feel confident and happy for, with where they are. And I know that's um, kind of a big wish. And some people have dealt with a lot of trauma and have dealt with negative experiences. And I would, my, other thing is if anyone is making you feel bad about yourself, whether that's a healthcare provider or a sexual partner or somebody in your family, try to surround yourself with people who fill you with a positive, loving sense of self as well as an affirming sense. No one, no one deserves to be shamed. No one deserves to be abused. No one deserves to be touched without their permission and explicit consent. And it's okay to ask for what you need. And, and so having a sense of that. And then the other things are really about, you know, if you feel like something's wrong and you're not getting what you need, whether that's from a healthcare provider or other, like, especially for women, women are often, and, and this is worse for for people of color who are often not believed and whose symptoms are minimized, um, part of why we have such high maternal mortality and why, you know, pain in women or, or symptoms that will go on for many, many years, if you're not getting, if you know there's, so, if you think there's something wrong with your body and you are not getting the answers you need, be really persistent. Mm. And that's a lot to a lot of pressure to put on people, but I think it's important because you know your body better than anyone else and you know what's right for you, um, whether that is about fertility and contraception or sex. It is um, important to trust yourself, and that's something I've, I've learned from the people I've had the, um, the opportunity to care for. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was very, it's always nice to talk about these things. So go on forever. Well, <laughs> we my really, friends know. We really appreciate it. Um, and many more questions to come, but we'll have to save that for another episode. 
you've been listening to She and Her from WHUP in Hillsboro. You can find links to all of our episodes at our website, sheandherradio.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And that's pretty much it. That's pretty much We've it. Got We've got one more show. So we will bring that to you the week of Thanksgiving. And it's a very Thanksgiving e style show. Yes. With our moms. So we'll talk to you guys soon. And thank you again, Dr. Brahmi. My pleasure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.